Thank you, Sue Ann. And good morning, everyone. And certainly good to, uh, again, good to see everyone out this morning. Good to be here, certainly. Let's see. If you want to go ahead and mark number 321, Jesus is calling in your, uh, in your hymnals. We'll use that as our hymn of invitation this morning. And let's see. I don't know if my mic is on or not. Yeah, I'm good. You got me up there. Awesome. So uh, good to have everybody here this morning. Certainly uh, good to, to have uh, those of you that are visiting with us, those that have not been here for a while, uh, good to have you here as well. And uh, those that are logging on to Facebook or uh, will be logging into YouTube later, certainly good to have you with us and we welcome you. And it's always a privilege for me to share in God's word with you. Few of you are aware, I imagine, some are, but most probably not, that August the 15th was an uh, anniversary for not only this country, but this world that we live in. And 75 years ago that World War II ended. It was VJ Day. Uh, and it was celebrated on August the 15th, 1945. The official surrender papers were not signed until September the 2nd, uh, 45 aboard the USS Missouri. But certainly at the end of the war, there was a great sigh, a collective sigh of relief breathed around this world. 400,000 American soldiers had died. And worldwide, a shocking 65 million people estimated was killed. And that's civilian and military casualties as well. And we look at that on the grand scale of things, that's about 3% of the population at that time uh, was killed due to the war. Today's equivalent to that would be about 234 million people would die. We think about that relief uh, that must have went around the, the globe. Few of us can imagine, but we do have members of our family that remember very well. And some people are here in this room that, that can remember the relief that was felt once that war was over. Many days had passed since December the 7th, 1941. Many sons and husbands and brothers and sisters and daughters gave their lives to free and rid this globe of tyranny and dictatorship. Their lives would be forever changed, and it was forever changed due to the events of the war. And it would never look the same after December the 7th, 1941. During the darkest times of the war, the early days of the war, I'm sure that people were uh, kind of without hope. They didn't know what to expect, didn't know what the world was going to look like in light of the attacks that they were facing. And we find ourselves in a similar situation today. Thankfully, we're not in a shooting type war, but we are at war with a germ. And a germ, folks, is what's causing all of this that, that most of our disruption in our lives. Uh, to date, as of last night anyway, last update, about 800,000 people have died worldwide from this germ. Uh, it's caused us uh, to do things completely different in things. We're getting close to about six months now. And we're doing things completely different, completely foreign. Uh, food supplies being rationed, travel being limited for us. 
it's my prayer that we don't have to endure this trial for four years as they did with the, uh, with the war. But the world for us, in light of this coronavirus, will never be the same. But I got to thinking about that, and that's not a terrible thing, that it would never be the same, because there are some things that the world would be, be, would be better off without, and I think we've seen that, and I hope those things don't come back when the coronavirus is contained. Uh, Christians, we got a gut check for one thing, didn't we? Suddenly you are not allowed to go to church, and does that tell you that church is important to us? One thing that we can think about that I hope returns, that never returns, is that we never, that we never lose our desire and be angered because we're not in church. Now I want you to think about that. It's a good thing we didn't take roll <laughs> on people to check on people that were so angry because they said you couldn't come to church because if we took roll, I would expect to see every one of those angered people in a church on Sunday mornings. But it's something that when we take it away from us, we realize the importance of it. And then there's other things on the other hand like movie stars and sports and movies. Those are not that important at all, are they? I didn't think I could live a day without baseball. But uh, guess what? I've done just fine. I've probably not watched seven, five to seven innings since it's all started back. And it's not necessarily because of coronavirus, just because of other issues. But you know what? It's not that important. Things that we used to really think was so important for our lives, we've discovered uh, it's not so important. And we also found out that you will not die, physically die, if you do not have your hair fixed or colored or cut uh, every three weeks, didn't we? So that's some good things, right? Some good things that's come out of this. But what about our hope? It's easy amid all the reports and the mandates to feel that we are hopeless or in a hopeless situation. And the reality is, is, is we're not in a hopeless situation, folks. This pandemic will come to an end one way or another, sooner rather than later, I hope. But is that where our hope lies? Does our hope lie in the disappearance or containment of a virus? Surely not. Surely that's not where our hope is. Surely we understand now, nearly six months into this, that things that we once placed such great importance upon are not really that important. And the things that we kind of let slide are the most important things. And we may have the opportunity to do this reset, you see, with that hindsight guiding us. So what's what I want to talk about this morning? is that how we're living through right now. We, you know, we ask ourselves, when will this be over? When will an unrest end? When will things never go back, to, ever go back to normal? And let me, let me share with you something that kind of came to me as I was writing this sermon last night, is that for the Christian, this world can never be normal. It's not been normal since Adam and Eve was banished from the Garden of Eden. Because that's, it's all, ever since then, it's been against what God's original plan was. So this is not a normal place for the Christian. 
And that's what we have to understand. And it will never be normal until Jesus Christ returns. So what is it that we're supposed to do? Well, I want you to remember these three words, and it's the title of the sermon this morning. My hope is, and we'll go ahead and fill that in here shortly. And that's what I want to look at and remind us this morning as Christians about what our hope is, and that it, in fact it isn't based off of a germ. It isn't based off the lack of rioting and demonstrations, and it isn't a return to the way life was as normal. David wrote in Psalms 39, verse 7, he said this, And now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in thee. And that's what we need to think about. What are we waiting for? Are we waiting for the riots to end? David says his hope is in God. Are we ready, waiting for the pandemic to get over to where we can shed these masks and social distancing rules and, and we can go travel and do whatever we want to do? David says his hope is in the Lord. Are we waiting for a, a presidential election uh, to either happen so that, so that half the country will be tickled to death and the other half will be mad uh, uh, as wet hens as we say? David says his hope is in the Lord. So what are we waiting for? If our hope is in the Lord, what are we waiting for? My hope is in you. So our hope must be in God. I'd like for you to turn with me over to uh, 1 Peter because Peter in his first letter, he gives us some insight to this truth. And we're going to look at verses 3 through 21 this morning for the bulk of our sermon. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 21, and I'll read that, and then we'll go back and look and see how this compares to this statement that David made that says, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 3, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope, or living hope, some of your translations may say, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold, and that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, and whom, though now you see him not, you believe. Ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have ignored or inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was with them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed 
that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister. The things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, gird up your loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fastening yourselves according to the former lust and your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversations received by tradition from your fathers, but the precious blood of Christ, as the lamb without blemish and spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in the last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. A lot of that sounds familiar to us today, doesn't it? Temptations, times of weakness, and, and that sort of thing. That's not unfamiliar to us as Christians. But also Peter here is telling us, encouraging us, and showing us where our hope is. And the first place that we look at that, I think, is in verse 3, when he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively or living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. My hope is in Jesus, my Savior. And that's where we need to, the first thing we need to focus on. Peter reminds us of that hope. Our hope is in and it's a living hope. Jesus alive. Jesus resurrected from the dead. Not a hope based on assumption or suspicion. It's a hope based on eyewitnesses. Forty days Jesus was here after he was resurrected. Over 500 people saw that. Eyewitnesses testified of that. The uh, Saul, the apostle Saul, eyewitness encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus at his conversion. It's recorded in the scriptures. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, if you'd like to turn over there with me, John 14, verse 6. And here's what we always need to remember. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come unto the Father but by me. There's one way to God. There's one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ, and it's plain and it's simple, and that's why my hope is in Jesus Christ as my Savior, because of that salvation. Now, science and government right now are placing hope in a vaccine, and they're spending untold millions of dollars on a hope that it will be effective. Well... It will be some time, really, before we'll know if it's effective or not, if it works. 
And if it works for everyone, we know the flu shot. If you look at that, and I'm not trying to be a, a Debbie Downer here or anything, but the flu shot doesn't work for everyone. So we know that this coronavirus shot is probably not going to work for everyone. And then there's going to be people that won't take it. They won't take the shot. So it will never work for them. Their hope is built on something that might work. Their hope is built on something that might be effective for those that will take it. And their hope is built on something that some people will never take. Jesus said over in chapter 16 of John there, verse 33, he said this, These things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Do we see that? If our hope is in our Savior, Jesus Christ is our Savior. And he is the way, only way to the Father. And he is. He has overcome the world. So what do we have to fear? My hope is in a Savior who has overcome death of the grave through resurrection. And he has overcome the world. And we, by being joint heirs to Jesus Christ, we have that same victory. And that's what we have to remember. So my hope is, see the title? My hope is in Jesus, my Savior. Now let's look at the next point that he makes. It comes out of verse 13. And he mentions that in verse 12 too. I didn't add that in, and I will do that, but verse 13 is the scripture that I have listed uh, on the PowerPoint. So let's go back and read 12 and 13 together. Unto whom it was re revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to you to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. My hope is in the Holy Spirit to guide me. My hope is in the Holy Spirit to guide me. And we see that's what, what Peter is saying, to gird up our loins of our mind, prepare ourselves for action is what this is saying as Christians. And that's what he's encouraging us to do. And we do that through the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit and the guidance that comes through him. We think about the chaos of the world that we see today. Politicians are at a fevered pitch. Protesters and rioters in the street demanding justice. Scientists changing their mind weekly as new information comes in. And those are just the facts. I'm not being critical of anything, okay? But that's just the facts of the world that we live in today. What guides these people? Have you ever thought about that? What guides the politician? What guides the protester? What guides the scientist? Well, let's think about that just for a second. I have my opinion. I'll share that with you. What guides the politician? All too many times greed and the lust for power is what guides a politician. 
not necessarily the good of the, of the public, but the good to, for them to perpetuate or to advance what they want to happen, what their group wants to happen. What guides the protester? Passion is what guides a protester. Passion for things that they perceive or things that are perpetuated usually by those who are in power. And that's what we're seeing. Many times their passions are directed at ungodly behavior and their demandants are demanding for the acceptance of that behavior. But the passion is what delivers them. What guides a scientist? The discovery of truth. Webster's defines science as this, as knowledge attained through study or practice. Truth for the scientist has to be discovered through trial and error. Just how it works. They make experiments, they try, just like these vaccines, they're going to try a vaccine. They go through clinical trials. Why? To see that they work. If they don't work, then they have to go back and do something different. What guides a Christian? What guides us as Christians to be able to gird up our minds, to be sober, and to have hope? The Holy Spirit. That's what guides us. Jesus said in John 14, verse 26, you want to turn back over to John with me. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. God sending a Comforter to us in the name of Jesus. Now, what do we think about that? How many of us openly seek out the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our lives? You have to answer that question for yourself. You've heard me speak and, and, and have lessons and sermons on the Holy Spirit. How many times through the course of the day do we seek out the Holy Spirit's guidance in our lives? Jesus said that God the Father was sending him in his name. But many of us reject the Holy Spirit for whatever your reason is. And if you reject the Holy Spirit, isn't that the same as rejecting Jesus Christ himself? Because God the Father will send the Comforter, the Holy Ghost, in my name. If we reject the Holy Spirit, are we not rejecting Jesus Christ himself? That's what the scriptures point to. That's if Jesus said... Uh, he was sending any, anyone else in their name. He sent the disciples in their name. People ex did not accept the message. What were they rejecting? The disciple or the message of Jesus? Same thing for us today. What about what Paul wrote to the church at Rome? Chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the heart, on that in 27, knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Why would you deny an ally like that? 
that knows our minds, knows our hearts, knows what to intercede in prayer to God the Father when we can't pray ourselves. Have you ever been stuck on that? Where you just don't know what to pray for? You've prayed for something, you've prayed, you've prayed, and you've prayed, and you've prayed, and you've prayed, and you're to the point that I really just don't know what to pray anymore. The Holy Spirit has not abandoned you. There are still prayers going up on your behalf through the Holy Spirit is what Paul just tells us. Is what Jesus tells us in this comforter. And that's why he sent. The Holy Spirit is sent to us. Because imagine for us to be here left alone without any aid or without any comfort, without any help, without anyone interceding in spirit for through to God for us. What kind of despair would we be in? We'd be left to our own devices. We'd be left to our own decisions to make. God has not abandoned us. On the contrary, God is closer to us when we are our weakest and are at our weakest moments. So my hope is in the Holy Spirit who guides me. My hope is in Jesus Christ as my Savior. Do we see what Peter is trying to tell us? That it doesn't matter. It seems like things are difficult. We are having difficulties. We're in places that we don't know what to do. We don't know what to pray for. We don't know what to think, how to act, what to say. God has not abandoned us. He sent Jesus here for our salvation and teach us how to live. And he sent the Holy Spirit to, to help us through these difficult times and the good times as well. And then we come to this third point, the last point. Now that we've established that our, we're trusting in God risen Savior, we're trusting in a God sent spirit helper, what else do we have hope in? Verse 21, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. My hope is in God Almighty himself. In God Almighty himself. If we trust our, play, our, our hope and faith in a God-risen Savior, and we, we trust that same hope and faith in a God-sent helper, comforter, Holy Spirit, doesn't it make sense? And the most logical thing is that we place our hope in God. But I think sometimes we need to be reminded of the power of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is who we serve, you know. It is the same God. It's the same God who made Abraham a father well past his time and and delivered Noah and his family from the flood and, and stopped Abraham from sacrificing Isaac and provided a ram of his own. Increased Jacob's herds through, the, through obedience and the use of whittling down some sticks. Go back and read that if you've never read it, how it happened. He was being deceived by Laban. Told him he could have all the, the goats and the sheep of a certain color. God gave him the knowledge how to do that. What about delivering Moses and the children of Israel from the bondage of Egypt, parting of the Red Sea, walking through on dry land, as the scriptures tells us, 
And that children of Israel, by the way, is Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, the children of Israel. How about Jericho? We remember Jericho, that city we used to, we teach it in Sunday school. Joshua then marched around the city how many times? Seven times. Blew them trumpets for seven days. What happened to the walls of Jericho? They fell. It wasn't because they were bad musicians. It was because of the power of God that those walls fell. Do we remember that God caused a fish to swallow up a man, keep him in his belly for three days, and then took him and spit him out in the direction that he wanted him to go in the first place? Do we remember what a mighty God that we serve that was loved us so much that they, he sent his one and only begotten son? Let him live here for 30 some odd years and he, he taught us how to live. He taught us how to serve. He taught us how to treat each other. And then because there was no sacrifice acceptable, there was no way that we could follow the law, he said, I'm going to give him to you as an example and as a sacrifice. And if you'll accept him, you'll have eternal life. And he proved that through an empty tomb. Have we forgotten how powerful and how great and mighty our God is and how much he loves us? It's easy to do sometimes when we think about all of this going on. When you don't have your hope placed in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and God himself, it's easy to panic in times like these. It's easy to say, I, this is hopeless situation. There is no hope for us. There's not been hope for man since Adam and Eve sinned except for Jesus Christ as our Savior. And that's what I want us to think about. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. We don't know how things will end for us. That's one of the unknown. We do what we can do. We try to take care of our bodies. And we're healthy. We do all the right things. We're supposed to eat right. And we exercise. And, and we don't do risk behavior and cause things that might perpetuate our death. We don't know that we can do be the healthiest person on the planet, uh, go hop in the car and, and get run over by a drunk driver and die tomorrow. And that's the, that's the reality of life. For us, we don't know the end for ourselves, but guess who does? God has an expected end for us. He knows the end for each and every one of us, and, and we don't like to think about the end of our lives coming. I know that. I get it. I'm the same way. I want to go to heaven. I want to be in the presence of God and, and, and Jesus Christ and all the other saints. But the human part of me doesn't want that to happen until the very last moment it has to happen. And I suspect that many of you, if not most all of you, are the same way. Because we don't know the expected end that we have. But we do know as Christians. We know the expected end, don't we? It's sometimes a test of our faith and our trust in God to put the fear of the humanness behind us and say, God does have an expected end for me. That's why I sent Jesus Christ here as my Savior. My expected end is to be with him populating heaven. 
And that's what he's telling Jeremiah there. Captivity is what that's surrounding. But God does have an expected end for each and every one that has Jesus Christ as their Savior. And that's a home in Him for eternity with Him in heaven. So my hope and trust is in God, not a politician, not a doctor, not a TV celebrity, movie star, musician. My hope is in He who created heaven and earth. Everything that is and everything that ever will be one who loved me enough to send his son so that I might have a path to salvation and who knows me well enough that he, had to, he knew that he would have to send a comforter, a guide to help me in my difficult times. And one who has an expected end for me. That's who my hope is in. That's who my hope is in. Even in the midst of this dark time for us, six months into this pandemic, Things seem to be getting a little better. We're being told they're getting worse, but if you look at the numbers, they don't G and haul, as we used to say here years ago. But let's just continue to be in prayer, and let's finish Scripture that we started with back in Psalm. Psalm 39.7. Another one of those that would be good to mark. And now, Lord... What wait I for? My hope is in thee. Are you here this morning without hope in Jesus Christ? Having heard the gospel and hear the, the, the truth of who Jesus Christ is, why he came, if you believe that and you're willing to repent of your sins and confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, be buried with him in the likeness of his death of baptism, for the remission of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, that's what we've been talking about, comforter, God. Then you're raised at new creation and you walk forward faithful until death comes. The expected end comes. Maybe you've done those things and you've kind of got caught up in what's going on around the world and you've, you've forgot how mighty our God is, how powerful our God is. Let me encourage you to give your, give your worries and cares. Jesus said, cast your cares upon me. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. And through the Holy Spirit, that's what we can do. We can cast our cares upon God. We can put our faith and trust in a man and a God that has an expected end for each and every one who is adopted into his family. We may have come in here a little bit hopeless this morning. Heaven forbid that we walk out of here without hope. Because we have more hope, the only source of hope that is known to man. And regardless of the situation that we find ourselves in. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. Jesus is calling, verses 3 and 4. And he is calling. And he doesn't just call on Sundays. He calls to thus those that are lost every day. He wants us to come. That's why he came. And if you've never made a decision for Christ and you want to do that today, if you're on Facebook or on YouTube and you want to make a decision for Christ, you contact me and we will, we will get together and find a way to make that happen. If you're not in this part of the country, I'll contact the church in your area. We will make that happen. But let me encourage you not to give up the only source of hope that we have. And that's Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father. 321.
Jesus is calling. Would you come as we stand and say, third